0: Perfect. By
1: the way, nice to meet you. You have been. Oh,
0: actually, you haven't met. Um, sorry,
1: <laughs> you have been a constant presence in my life for years now with this list, and well, thank um, you. So I feel like I know you, um, and uh, you've never met me. I don't even know if you have ever heard me before. So it's nice to meet you.
2: It's very nice to meet you. I am uh, thrilled to be here. I am constantly so. I'm just overjoyed at how useful this like weird little passion project <laughs> has turned out to be for people. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, one of the like things when
0: Conrad talked about how amazing it is, like, yeah,
1: I know, I know. Uh, one of the things, and this that can have been our, our our kind of soft launch of the of the conversation, but one of the things that um I thought that's unique about the three of us is in different ways, we all kind of look forward and and recording this at the time of year when everybody's doing their, this is the best of the stuff that happened all year. I like that we're we're all kind of forward. Looking people when it comes to books and everything, and that we're getting together to prep everybody for another fantastic year. So um, that makes me happy. <laughs> so, yeah, it's you know,
2: I mean, publishing is such a when you work in publishing or adjacent to publishing, it's such a forward-looking position. At you know, uh, kind of by default, you know, you're if you're working on books, you know, e- either as an author or as a publishing professional, even as a bookseller, you're looking down the road, like at least a few months, if not a couple years. Um, so it is always sort of, you know, when I, when I was on Talking Scared to do uh, my sort of best of 2023, I really had to go back and be like, oh God, what did I read? Because <laughs> I'm always thinking like, okay, what's next? Yeah. And one of the books I know Emily's going to talk about, like I read
0: back in October, right? Like the books <laughs> that are coming out January through May, that I'm going to talk about, I've already read and reviewed. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's
0: for, for sure.
1: That's, and I think about that too, because often we read stuff so far ahead. Um, uh, and you have to think to yourself, did that, did that come out this year? When like, yeah. So there's a little bit of like, um, like time shifting when it comes to really just remembering what happened when, um, but hopefully, you know i know that you two are are very valuable to to people who want to discover books hopefully i make a little bit of a an impact as well oh yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> um all right so uh for listeners who have been listening to us kind of you know uh just chatting a little bit this episode is actually I, this episode wasn't my idea first of all um and that shows you how much i respect becky because becky basically sent an email and was like we're doing this and i was like yes let's do this um so this was becky's idea um to do basically a look look forward episode looking forward into the 2024 horror preview i think i'm just gonna let this gonna actually be the title of it um and so becky said i have this idea i said duh thanks for even wanting to include me and and here we are and it's all centered around um one of the most like valuable resources for like upcoming horror Probably that's ever existed, and that's Emily. That's your your um, your 2024 new books list. I think I maybe named it right. Um, so, can let's start out by just before I dive into that, though, we'll do a quick intro to both of you, and then I'm going to ask Emily why the hell you chose to do this. So, um, Becky, if you want to just quickly introduce who you are yeah. and and what you do.
0: My name is Becky Spradford. I'm a librarian in the Chicago suburbs. I train librarians all over the world on how to match books with readers through the local public library. But in this space, I am also the lead horror librarian out there in the world. I have three uh, editions of my book, The Reader's Advisory Guide to Horror. And I have, um, I'm review horror for Booklist, and I am the horror columnist for Library Journal, among other things. Um, so that's what I do. I'm reading ahead. I'm reviewing so that libraries can add books to their collection before they come out.
1: And you're just the best. So there's also that. You forgot to mention that. I'll, I'll add that on. That's there.
2: true. Becky is
1: objectively
2: the best.
0: <laughs> I actually love that Rob lives near me and that Emily lives near where my kid goes to college. So <laughs> I do actually get to see both of you in real life, which is it's wonderful so nice. as well.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> um becky also has the i think unique honor if you want to call it that of having been on all of the podcasts that i have hosted
0: oh yeah maybe we yeah. met back on the queen mary yeah yeah
1: back in 2017 um i, I think you're the only person yet that's been on my original podcast the one i did with lit reactor and know this so there
2: we go look at that.
1: um Yeah, so thank you for for coming up with this. I know we're going to have an awful lot of fun talking about upcoming books. Now, Emily, um, if you don't mind uh, introducing yourself, and then I'll interrogate you with a very important question after that.
2: Absolutely. Uh, So my name is Emily Hughes. I worked in the publishing industry for about a dozen years, uh, splitting my time between editorial and sales, and then ultimately ending up in marketing. For the last eight or so years of that span of employment, I worked uh, at Penguin Random House and then at Tor Books. Um, And for Penguin Random House, I ran their uh, consumer-facing sci-fi fantasy vertical Unbound Worlds. Um, And then for the last few years of my time with Tor, I was running the, a very similar website specifically for Tor Nightfire, their horror imprint. Um, I also, God, I don't know. I write I write short form you know, digital nonfiction stuff. I have my own book coming out next year. It's called Horror for Weenies. It is a uh, 101 guide to the horror movie canon for people who don't like to be scared. Um, that's coming out in September with quirk and God, what else? I don't know. Um, I don't work in publishing anymore. Now I'm just some guy, but I really still love (laughs) talking about books and no one will ever stop me from doing that.
1: (laughs) Um, no one ever should, if they tried, I feel like there would be an army of people stopping them. Um, So then that brings us to the question this. So this episode uh, was based on the idea of you have this list that you put together um, that basically states it's a very comprehensive list of horror books coming out in a given year. Um, So how did that start? And uh, like, what was the genesis of that? And what compels you to do that? Because it seems like it's a lot of work. Um, So, yeah, what's what's the story with it?
2: Uh, The story is that I'm insane. Um, (laughs) The story is that in 2019, when I was getting the Nightfire site up and running, um, it was very important to me that that site be publisher agnostic. Um, I didn't just want to talk about Nightfire books because that, would be very difficult since there were very few of them at that point (laughs) um but also because unbound worlds had been a publisher agnostic site and that to me was was really sort of foundational to building trust with readers like if if readers know that you're just going to be talking to them as like a promotional machine like that's not going to land right but if we could establish ourselves in sort of in a similar way that, you know, tour.com has as a central repository and, you know, community for fans and authors and publishers. Um, that is how you, in my opinion, build a, you know, lasting brand. And so I started doing that for the Nightfire site in 2020, which was in large part because I was like, all right, I need to know what's coming out. And there is no existing version of this list. I can cobble together some ideas from retailer websites, from publisher websites, but it's always this, it's its this absolutely infuriating patchwork of, you know, do they have it listed as horror? Do they have it listed as dark fantasy? Is it a thriller? Is it, you know... <laughs> Uh, there are any number of like weird little uh, categorization um, quirks that make it difficult to track these things down, and obviously, like trying to find anything on Amazon is is an exercise in frustration. And uh, Bookshop. dot org wasn't really up and running at the time, and even now, like you can't re- it's it's the discoverability isn't great. BarnesandNoble.com. Don't even get me started. Um, (laughs) So I started making myself a spreadsheet, and then I thought, well, this is really useful, but like this will be useful to other people as well. Why don't I make this a post? Um, So I made it a post on the website, and it it within a month became our most trafficked piece of (laughs) content on the website. And I was like, oh, people really like this, and you know, I was getting people in the comments and people on social media going, This is so useful. Oh my God, why where has this been all my life? And I I kept going. And and in 2020 I was still sort of nailing down my like search uh criteria. You know, how do I how do I pull together this list? How do I make sure I'm getting, you know, indie pub books and stuff that's not necessarily categorized as horror. And I've really refined my technique since then. Um, and I've published this every year, so 2020, 2021 and 2022 were all on the Nightfire website. They're still there. You can you can go back and look at them. Um, and I encourage you to do so, actually. It's a great way to find stuff that is no longer in like the publishing promotional cycle um 2023 and 2024 are both up on my website readjumpscares.com um when i left my job at Nightfire, uh partially just because of burnout and partially because i was about to write a book um i went hey i really want to take this project with me and they were like absolutely this is a great resource um so i've been maintaining that on my website and i i've gotten better at Gathering that information, I have uh, a Google form that's linked on the list. You know where you can tell me about a book I missed. Um, people tell me, you know, by Instagram DMs, by well, Twitter, not anymore because I'm not on Twitter anymore. But uh, it was getting a little hard to keep track, so I just made a form. I was like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna streamline this. Um, so it is an insane thing to do, and it is a lot of work, but I find it extremely gratifying and. Knowing how many people use it and rely on it, I it just kind of gives me the strength to, you know, soldier on because it is it is a significant amount of work. Um, yeah, I hope that was not an overly long answer to that question, but uh, hopefully a comprehensive one.
1: Yeah. Um... I don't really know exactly. I don't remember exactly when I stumbled upon the list. Um, You know, it's probably just like people on social media sharing off like, Hey, check this out. Um, But the moment I saw it, I was like, Oh, come on. Like, and obviously the first, one of my first thoughts was like, where's the one for, you know, mystery and thriller. Where's the one for literary fiction? Um, Because whoa, talk about taking a lot of the work out of me trying to figure out what to care about. Like you, yeah, it's invaluable. Um, And, and, you know, like, I'm sure that it, you know, um, Becky for, for being someone who, uh, your, your whole purpose is getting information to people more or less, uh, I'm I'm sure you probably feel the same way.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, I use Edelweiss a lot, um, to look for new books, which I have access to because I'm a librarian and. The things Emily was saying, like I was trying to piece together because not only was I trying to stay ahead and make sure I'm reviewing because, you know, library journal and and book list are pre-pub only reviews, right? The whole point is that the library workers need to see them in time to order them and add them to their collections. So I need to know about books minimum four months before they're coming out. Like I have to have it read and reviewed um, just because of the publishing cycle because they're also print, right? So like my library journal um, deadlines are two months before and book lists can push out to like a month before, but that's cutting it close. <laughs> so when I'm searching on Adelweiss and all that, a lot of the publishers are sending me things, but um, they're using all those tags that Emily said that aren't horror, right? So it's really hard to find the books. And one of the other thing jobs I had, which Emily has made a lot easier and I give <laughs> her credit every year, is that I write a horror preview for library journal every every July and I need to make sure that I am seeing the full landscape and not just the main publishers who are sending me things. And so I work with Emily, we actually met last March in person and we <laughs> sat and we went through and we started talking about what's coming out the second half of the year in March, we were sitting there and talking about it. Oh, was um, so, fun. And was so fun. We just <laughs> sat around a table for like two hours and talked about books in person. Um, But her list is so important for that reason, for people to plan. And I know when she published the 2024, um, at the end of um, 2023, there were a lot of my library people who were like, this is so useful. Now I can plan my spending and my promotion and my, you know, it's so useful. And that's what made me think about doing this. I was like, you know, Rob, your whole podcast is about the advanced copies. So we were all doing our end of the year lists. Emily and I were actually going back and forth about our end of the year lists with each other via text. And I was like, we need to talk about the first half of this year the next year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we started talking about that, I think, in October is when you originally pitched the idea. and um,
0: That's when my best list for library journal was due. (laughs) (laughs) I was already, like, you know, done. (laughs)
1: Um, But that leads me to uh, a question for you, Becky. And probably, Emily, you experienced something similar. But I know whenever I talk to Becky about books her timing is really skewed compared to other people's. Cause like, sometimes you'll be the first, like you'll be the first person yep. to read a book outside of like, maybe like an editor or something like that. Um, so uh, just the idea of keeping track of, I read this now maybe tw- like four to 12 months from now it's going to be released. When do I talk about it? How do I kind of keep it all in my head? Like that has to be really complicated for you to just like, for me, it's like, oh yeah, I read that a long time ago. And now I have to try and remember what it is if I want to talk about it or whatever. But for you, like logistically, do you like figure out milestones or like reminders? So I learned how to do it.
0: You're absolutely right. Because I read it. And so, and it depends, right? When I'm reading it for a book list, I read it and I usually review it like right after I finish it. And then I do put a marker in Goodreads for me mostly to say I read it with a couple notes. And I do put, I do keep written notes as well. And I type those all up in the document where I'm writing the review um, so I can keep track of it. So when I talk about it, I can say those other things about it. When I'm doing it for library journal, that's almost harder because I try to review them all at once and I'm doing eight at once. So for example, this is a great question right now because we're recording this at the end of the. <laughs> 2023, and on January 2nd, my January column for Library Journal is dropping. And I'm gonna talk about some of those books today. Those books, I turned in those reviews before Thanksgiving. So you're (laughs) absolutely right. I have to remind myself, but the good news is I'm being paid to write my thoughts down, right? Not just read it. I mean, so I do have a way I capture the appeal of the story, not as much as what happens so that I can do it, but you're absolutely right. When the reviews come out, I'm normally starting to talk about them. So um, when I come back on uh, July, sorry, July, we're talking about July. (laughs) When I come back on January 11th from vacation, I have my giveaway every week for librarians and I'm giving away the Angel of Indian Lake because that's in my January column, right? So I have an ARC, I'm gonna give it away. Then I'll talk about it again when it comes out because I actually have a second one and I'll give that away then. (laughs) But one of the books that Emily's going to talk about that's coming out in January is one of my favorite books for 2024 already. And I reviewed it in October and I already gave that mark away in October when the reviews came out. So yeah, it is It is some, some books I don't talk about when they come out. I'm only talking yeah. about them before. It's hard. And I forget yeah. like book, book <laughs> pub days. I forget what day they're publishing.
1: Yeah, Well, uh,
2: that that honestly, the list has been... It it was also a way because I have ADHD and just atrocious like object permanence and short term memory. Right, so I'm one of those people. If you ask me at a party, you know what is you know what are you reading? What's the you know last thing you read that you really liked? Suddenly, my brain is like. book what's a book I've never what what I'm not familiar with the concept um so keeping lists is really just like my way of externalizing like the memory stuff that my brain is not good at so when I read something I always log and I started a goodreads account a million and five years ago and I still use it but I hate it because goodreads is terrible I do Same. just have, like, a yep. physical reading journal now that has been sort of invaluable. Um, and then when it comes time to talk about books that I read, you know, months or possibly years before, <laughs> uh, I usually try to do it around publication date when I can, Um if it's something that I really want to give a boost to, I will do like lead-up stuff on social media, especially for books that I really love. Um, one of the books I'm going to be talking about today is is one of those. Um, you know, I'm just every few weeks or like once a month, I'm like, hey, you should pre-order this book; it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> but yeah, trying to talk about s- stuff around pub date is probably the most useful for the authors in question because first week sales are so important to authors and pre-orders count towards first week sales which is why authors will always ask you to pre-order if you can um and then i really do try to keep talking about stuff after it's published because as i said earlier the publishing publicity cycle is really just like you know, that first week or two. um, And then it just, you know, I I have a lot of sympathy having been on the other side of it, you know, if you're a marketer at a big five publisher, you're working on, I don't know, a couple dozen books a year, at least. And you just don't have the time to, to shepherd a book sort of, you know, keep close focus on one book over the course of weeks or months. Um, And that's a shame, but that's why a lot of publicity and marketing falls on authors these days. Um, So anything we can do to help is, in my mind, just frosting. It's great.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I have a couple of thoughts, responses to both of you. Um, Emily, to yours first, I think that just... Cause like in preparation for the conversation we're about to have, where we talk about books that we're looking forward to, I read through, you know, the descriptions of dozens of books on your list and that alone, um, just reading the descriptions of books is huge in making me realize, Oh, this is, this is something that is right up my alley. So like, even if people just read that list and read through what the books are, um, Like that's a huge first step um, for people. Um, And then Becky, I just wanted to say really quick that in conversations that we've had in the past, you do as far as I can tell a great job of keeping secret things that need to be secret. Um, Like I've like the, you've said some stuff before and you're like, I can't say X, Y, Z. Um, But like your enthusiasm shows, shows like, you know what I'm saying? So you like, you can, you can be generically enthusiastic about something. Um, in an embargoed kind of way so that, you know, things don't spill and aren't supposed to be spilled. So um, I appreciate that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a couple of quick questions before we dive into starting to talk about the titles we're excited about, which I know that's why we're here. Um, but since I have your minds to access, I thought I'd, I'd ask a couple of quick questions that are kind of topical. Um, and this, these are both for both of you. Um, first of all, I've realized... Reading, reading, podcasting, editing, posting, promoting is a lot of work. And so, like, I feel like if I read 30, 35 books a year, that's a great year. Um, and I've just recently discovered the value of like how good a nice novella is. So, <laughs> um, I, I'm looking through uh, your, your list and just in general, like, if a novella pops up for me, like that's top that goes to the top of the list for me because I can do that quickly. And that means I can get content quicker. So like, do you pay specific attention to novellas or is there, you know what I'm saying? Like, is there a way to call out, um, really selfishly? I want a list of novellas is what I'm trying to say. So, any so I'll give
0: you a, I'll give you a secret. So uh, first of all, I do try to cover novellas because libraries don't always look to add them. And for exactly your reason, they're a great book to add uh, to collections because they're quick reads. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they'll buy them also on ebook or e-audio, which is really helpful. But I will tell you when I am building, especially when I'm doing my eight book column, there's always at least one novella in there because (laughs) I have to read eight books. And as I said, um, them at the same time. And I, I don't have to, I guess I could write them the reviews, but I like, since they're going to appear in print on a page together, I do try to write them at the same time to be cognizant of the fact that they're yeah. being traditionally published. Um, but there's always a novella in there. And I have a couple <laughs> I'm going to talk about today.
1: Oh,
2: Me yeah. too, actually, both of my February picks are novellas. <laughs> one um,
1: one of my favorite things I read this year is The Crane Husband by Kelly Barnhill. And I read it in like an hour and a half and it was just like a great experience. So there's so much value to novellas. So.
0: I just reviewed a book that I'm not gonna talk about, but I just it's coming out in the spring. It's called What Happened at Sunrise Gardens and it's Nate Southern and it's coming out from Cemetery Dance. And it was a very cool reading experience. Nice. Um, I just turned in the review on Tuesday for Booklist because the book takes place over about an hour and it takes just about an hour to
2: read.
1: Ooh, and it was nice.
2: really awesome.
1: That's cool. <laughs> um, so Emily? Terms,
2: yeah. Oh, in terms of the the list, um, I don't get into, like, format or length or category in the list just because it's already so much work. Um, I, the copy that, so the the information I include on the list for any of your listeners who haven't uh, been to my site, title, author, pub date, publisher. And then I usually do a paragraph or so of synopsis. And I always take that from the publisher's copy. Um, mm-hmm. Except in, in in 2020, on my very first list, I would sort of rephrase and describe each book uh, in my own words. And that was so much extra work that i was like i I can't do that again um (laughs) but i do try to note you know if there, if i think the publisher copy is missing something significant that i think readers might want to know like is it a novella is it you know the second in a series is it ya because i add ya titles on my list as well Um, I will usually try to work that in somewhere. So if you control F novella on the list, you know, it's not going to catch all of them maybe, but it should catch most of them.
1: Awesome. That's a good tip because like halfway through the, you know, 2023, I was like, man, I could, I could get a few more episodes in if it was just like more novellas on my list. So, um, all right. So, uh, excellent insight more than I thought might've been there. Um. The other quick question that I had for both of you is, I feel like I was talking to a friend of mine, um, his name's Jesse, and um, we were talking about what's coming out in 2024. And it feels to me like there is kind of like an unofficial kind of like blockbuster season uh, mm. where like publishers will drop the bigger, more known names at a certain time of year, and I don't know if that's like just a feeling or if there's any truth no. behind that. But it no, seems there is like truth.
0: that's a talk about it.
1: July, maybe June, July through like right now. September, like
2: May, July, and then fall. Yeah, So this this tr- this tracks a lot to when people are buying books and when those books are likely to get more attention. Um, with horror specifically, obviously, you know, publishers tend to gravitate towards the autumn, which drives me up a fucking wall. Excuse mm-hmm. my French. Um, because people who read a specific genre don't just read it in one season, yep. right? Yeah. Um, and I think God, this year alone there were almost a hundred titles on my list that came out in October and I was like (laughs) guys we gotta space this out um but more generally in publishing uh awards season is at the end of the year and that's also when people are buying gifts so it's usually you know peak season as it is for many you know uh product manufacturers retailers you know creatives um but there's also that sort of spring to summer transitional mm-hmm. season when publishers are trying to get into beach reads, basically. Summer reading and beach reads. Um, people are going on vacation. They have a little more time. Maybe they're you know taking a break with their kids while school's not in session. Um, so it does it definitely does tend to coalesce, like the big books tend to coalesce around those two periods of time. And this is Largely a matter of publishing just sort of getting in its own way as it so often does. Um, (laughs) I, you know, again, like, of course, there are certain books that you want to time to certain dates, right? There are, uh, I mean, it happens less in publishing, although one of the books I'm going to talk about that's coming out in May is a queer horror novel. Well, actually, two of the books I'm talking about are queer horror novels. Um, that come out in May and June, respectively. and so you know you might want to time those to pride. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but you know for your sort of for your for your new book that doesn't have any specific date hook, publishers are just kind of like sometimes it depends on because publishing operates in seasons, and a, a lot of publishers have three seasons, some have four, some have two. And that really just means we're calling everything that's coming out from this date to this date summer or winter or fall or whatever. Um, And that just sort of makes it easier for sales reps to go to accounts and being like, I'm selling winter, I'm selling summer, um, so that they can sort of break the year up into chunks. But (laughs) what then happens is that, you know, books try to you know editors and uh publishers will try to rush a book into a particular season if they think it needs to be you know this has to be a big summer book we're positioning this one as a big book so we want it to be you know out in time for you know x date and that i honestly i could talk about this for another hour like uninterrupted (laughs) so i'll stop there but uh it's not your imagination. It really is happening. And it really is deeply irritating.
1: Well, I, I'm just shocked to learn that publishers aren't scheduling books to come out um, for podcasters like me to like do them <laughs> regularly scheduled intervals. I, I don't know why they hadn't thought of that. Um, seems I, obvious I I Really, me, it's you know. a
2: vast oversight.
1: Yeah. I'm going to talk to Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Tor or whoever. Um, That's my dumb thing. When I don't know the name of someone who runs a company, I just make their name the name of the company.
2: No, I'm pretty sure that's legally how it works. Yeah. (laughs)
1: That's good. Um, No, she's been there. (laughs) That's true. Um, So, all right. So the format of probably what's going to be the the remainder of the conversation, uh, unless I come up with any other Quick questions that are that are relevant is going to be that we're just going to basically go around and talk about books that we're looking forward to in the first half of 2024. I'm assuming we'll just kind of alternate who's talking, and um, we, since it's the first time, we don't really have we have a loose format where basically we each chose some from each month, and we're going to talk about them. I am just going to. Uh, defer to the experts on and you guys know a lot more than me so i won't have as many books to talk about as the two of you um but we will go around and we'll uh we'll start in january we'll make our way to june and and see how this goes um so is anybody really passionate about starting out one of their picks for january
0: I would oh, love I Emily to talk it. about her first one. Yeah.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So my first book uh, is This Wretched Valley by Jenny Keeper. I think that this is the one that Becky was talking about. That's one of her favorites of 2024 already. This book. <laughs> oh my God. This book is wilderness horror, survival horror done unbelievably well. And it's Jenny's first novel. It's her debut Um, Jenny is also the owner of um, Butcher Cabin Books in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a horror, thriller, mystery focused uh, bookstore. So if any of you are ever in that area, drop in, say hello, pick up some great reads. Um, Jenny is I'm really like a little bit in awe of her and a little scared of her after reading this book. (laughs) It's loosely inspired by the dyatlov pass uh mystery which was a a group of russian hikers i don't know 75 years ago who went out on like a cross-country skiing trip and were discovered dead you know weeks later in very mysterious and upsetting circumstances like the, the tent had been cut open from the inside and you know a bunch of them were naked in the snow and you know one of oh, them right, had their right, tongue right. was missing and, and it's one of those enduring mysteries that has you know captured people's imaginations uh, in a particularly macabre way um and jenny went okay let's do that but let's set it in uh the like sort of rural rural Appala- appalachia um, and let's have it be about a rock climber who finds an unscaled rock face and she's trying to get you know, endorsement deals with, with major athletic brands. So she's, she's building her Instagram presence and she's like, all right, I've, I've found this rock face with the help of a friend doing some like terrain mapping. And I'm going to go climb it, and I'm going to be the first person to climb this rock face, and you know blaze all the trail. I don't know shit about rock climbing, but um, I, I knew a lot more after reading this novel, which yes. is great. Yeah, and Jenny, I believe, is an avid rock climber as well. Yes. Um. So it's things start going very wrong very quickly and this it turns out this rock face is in a patch of forest that the locals kind of know to avoid because nothing good happens there if you go in you likely don't come back out um and that's a that's a real another one of the books i'm talking about later has that kind of same trope of the forest that eats you uh which is absolute catnip to me (laughs) um and this is it's it's got a little bit of like amakatsu's the hunger Mm. in it which is one of my faves it's her donner party novel yeah um it is nasty this book is nasty it is mean and i fucking love it um the dog lives which is actually part of their marketing campaign for it which is important (laughs) information for me personally um there is a very good dog who does survive even though pretty much nobody else does um, this also has one of the best first chapters I've read in a long time. It hooked me in a way that I have not really been able to shake.
1: Good news for Neil McRobert too, who will talk at length about his love for dogs. So, um, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will I'm gonna point out before we move on to to another one, and obviously Becky's probably gonna have some thoughts on this book too. I decided but forgot to mention I'm gonna make a bookshop.org list of all the stuff that we talk about so that if anybody's listening to this, um you I'll link it in the in the in my substack post so that it's easy to find all the books that we talked about.
0: Excellent. And no, and I'm not gonna share more about that book because I want us to get through as many as possible. And I have already printed <laughs> a star review of this book in library journal, go. which anyone can read for free because it's star. So um, I'm going to talk about my book, though, which is a little bit off the beaten path. Um, so it is called Womb City, and I practice saying the author's name. It's Tlo Tlo Tomasi. I went on, you know, I, I have to say that's one of my pet peeves when people don't take the time to learn how to say author's names. I so I did take the time, and I apologize. Any mistakes are mine. Um, this is a critically acclaimed um author, which I didn't know what that meant when I started reading this book but that's a person from Botswana. So um, this is a strong debut and it combines African futurism and revenge horror, which is very cool, two things I really liked. And it follows the story of Nella. She's a woman living in a near future Botswana where crime, especially murder is not existent, but that's only because most people have a microchip that monitors their behavior. And what I loved about this story is that I got swept into it immediately even as all the complicated details of the world and the characters were being relayed to me, there was confidence. And the writing was so confident that, you know, these complicated details of the world and the character, I just followed along and trusted the author, which is a lot to expect from a debut author, but I never questioned it, reading it. Um, There's a dangerous plot with Nella's race against time. It unspools at a compelling pace because she is like one of those people, there's a microchip and they, they, she basically has proven that she's not trustworthy and she's gonna commit crimes. But it also has a lot about um, having babies and what it takes to have children and what is, people are both having babies in a futuristic way, but also people are being reborn. If you've done some crimes, you sort of get rebooted in another body. So there's all of that. So it's got great dystopian, but then there's the ghosts of the people that you possibly took over their body that are speaking through you in many ways. It's universally thought-provoking. It contemplates serious topics like AI, spirituality, bodily autonomy, grief, love, motherhood, family. What I really loved about it, and this is how I'm selling it to people. So in the marketing, because you're talking about the marketing, sometimes the marketing is not great, right? The marketing is saying this is Margaret Atwood, which I don't disagree with, but I actually think this is like if you ever thought that you loved Philip K. Dick and Blake Crouch, but you (laughs) wanted them to have a lot more femininity. Now the author is non-binary, but the main character is a a woman and functions as a woman. So if you love Philip K. Dick and Blake Crouch, like I love them, but too much testosterone. This is the book for you also set in Africa. So Mm -hmm. like it is, it is just, crossover between horror and science fiction without necessarily being space horror, which is also great but, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I know Emily's read it as well
2: Yeah, yeah, this one uh, the, the body hopping aspect of this book has some yes. really interesting ramifications for gender in the world of this story um, you may not, you if you're ported into a new body, it may not match the gender of your original body or who you identify as and the man it was it it was so ambitious and confident is exactly the word for it um the the world building is so like the world building doesn't get in the way of the pace which is really important to me um because that can be a real drag when you're like you know okay this author clearly has like a bible for their book and they want to tell me all about it um (laughs) but this was really just like the pace is is rapid fire the character is really interesting and like not entirely likable but like fascinating and uh i don't want to like she has this really like difficult marriage to a man who really wants to sort of, he wants her to be picture perfect so that his career will advance. And it's this really sort of insidious marital story as well. Um, really good. I was fascinated by it and I can't wait to see what the author does next.
1: Um, I'm going to start out with my first one by prefacing by saying I have not read any books that are coming out in 2024. So, um, I know that you're going to probably speak from experience about at least some of the titles that you're talking about, if not all of them. Um, I have not. And I'm starting out with um, The Best Horror of the Year, Volume 15, by Ellen Datlow, specifically for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, I feel like not enough people talk about kind of like gateway reads. Mm -hmm. um, And anthologies are an incredible way Mm -hmm. to have you read a little bit from an author and think, oh, I, I like their style and then go deeper into, you know, reading that author. And the other thing is um, I really like Ellen Datlow. I think that she is a very good anthologist and, um, you know, uh, for the most part, um, she puts together good collections um, of, of really good voices. So uh, when it comes to finding talent and pulling it together, I, I feel like she's really like she's one of the top in her field on that. Um, But like, honestly, the big thing for me is for people who need to, to, to expose themselves to new authors. And that's what I've been trying to do a lot lately is discover new voices that I haven't read before. Um, An anthology is a great way to do it. And especially like an anthology in a series or by a person who's good at doing that stuff is just going to be a great way to open up um, maybe options that you didn't know about before. So that's kind of my reason for going with that.
2: Yeah. Ellen has absolutely perfected her craft. Um, She is, is the expert on short speculative fiction in general, really, but especially horror. Um, And yeah, you know, exactly. It's like a tasting menu of new writers, people you might not have encountered before. It's a great discovery tool.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, I will. I will. This is the first time I'm publicly admitting this. For a little while, I've been between jobs. I just started a recently started a new job, and between those jobs, I I a low key was just like a part time guy at a Barnes and Noble, and um, I mastered like you know putting out horror and stuff. And one of the things I tried to do was to like highlight really useful anthologies for people who don't know about horror as a way to like discover new authors. So that kind of got me on the kick of like pushing short story collections and anthologies as a way to like, open up your mind to new, to new voices.
2: I'm also um, a former uh, BNN employee. So <laughs> Roger. It's,
1: it's made me think about some stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, understanding seeing how the sausage is made a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, uh, who who wants to go with, do we have more Januaries? Does anybody want to give a different another January one? Or I'll do go, we want to jump um, on? Okay. No, I,
0: I have another one I really want to talk about because although I live in Illinois now, I am a Jersey girl and I'm proud Jersey girl. So I'm going to talk about a book set in New Jersey, actually in the part of New Jersey that I'm from. Um, it's called Midnight on Beacon Street and it's by Emily Ruth Verona. And I also love this book because, again, I'm going to make it all about me. It's set in 1993. That is the year I graduated high school, and it is about a high school senior. So I really enjoyed this. But it, this <laughs> is um, this is a story that is about a town experiencing a rash of break-ins, and Amy is a super anxious kid. And this is a really great portrayal of anxiety um, as a kid who had anxiety as well. It was it was very realistic portrayal of it. And I really appreciated that, the honesty in it. By the way, this is a short one too, Rob. It's a little (laughs) longer than a novella, but it's super short and what's so cool about it. So she's going to babysit for the um, mom she loves. She's she's anxious. She loves horror movies from the seventies and eighties. So like she loves Halloween and all these things because they help with her anxiety. And she learned about that from her cousin who also likes this stuff. And so she's had it for the single mom she always babysits for, Eleanor and she's going to her house to watch Mira, the 12 year old and Ben who's six. But we know from the first page that this will not be an easy night because it's called Midnight on Beacon Street. And the story opens at midnight with Ben covered in blood, okay? So we know this is not gonna go well. And then it goes back and it's told in very short chapters that actually do move back and forth in time. And they're all headed with time stamps, So it keeps you moving. So it goes back into Emily's life, or sorry, M- Emily's the author, Amy's life, It's very confusing to me because my sisters are Amy and Emily, so this also, this (laughs) felt like it was my book. Um, So Amy is going back to when she had her first babysitter and talking about that and and how she became a babysitter. And it goes back and forth. It moves very quickly and it's very unnerving because you know it's going to end with the little boy covered in blood, right? Which I love. I love when an author tells you what's going to happen, but you have to keep reading Um, So the background details are fleshed out. The main characters anchor the story. It is only told through Amy and Ben's point of view. And sometimes that little kid point of view is is not good. But in this case, it is perfect because um, I think Mira is a little too old, the 12-year-old. He doesn't understand everything, but we do. They are authentic narrators and their different perspectives. Let us see all the emotions. Um, You are going to be able to read this in like a sitting or two. I really like how it's a love letter to horror itself, Um, but it also has that final girl's babysitter trope, Mm -hmm. like in Halloween. And I think it's like a slightly less weird, and I mean weird with the capital W, version of like The Babysitter Lives by Stephen Graham Jones. And if you liked that, you're going to really like this. It's a little more realistic based, but um, it has that love of horror as well.
2: Yeah, I haven't yeah. read this one yet, but I'm really excited about it. I have a galley, um, especially because of the horror movie angle, which is obviously right? relevant to my book. <laughs> um, but I really like the framing and I really like the idea of you know using horror both on the page and on the screen to sort of self-treat, you know, uh, your anxiety, which is something that I have been doing for a long time as well. So I'm excited about this one.
1: Yeah. When I read that one, I, my mind went to Babysitter Lives, but also um, Todd Keesling and his collection that came out in 2023 had a story, a black eyed kid story, basically, basically that were um, you know, like it was like a babysitter situation and everything you're, you're feeling says, don't open the door you know, and then things go bad. So that made me think of yeah. that too.
0: <laughs> and it's funny because it opens with the ending, but I have not told you most of what happens. It's just <laughs> fascinating. And again, it's, a, it's her debut novel and she pulls everything together super well so that all the details you're getting do end up mattering, not just in building the characters, but in the story. And I appreciate that as someone who reads a lot of books.
1: Yeah. Emily?
2: Well, my other January pick is one that I have not read yet. Um, which is The House of Last Resort by Chris Golden. Uh, That's out at the end of January. It is about, and he's really good at doing these sort of like one-off horror books in really interesting settings. Um, And the one that comes to mind is Road of Bones from a couple years ago, which was set Mm. on a remote highway in Siberia. Uh, This one is set in a, you know, beautiful but economically depressed uh, Italian town where the mayor in sort of an effort to save this, you know, dying uh, uh, civic, you know, entity is offering foreigners the opportunity to move there and buy homes for like one Euro. Right. And this is based on, there have been like these schemes, you know, that have sort of come into the news over the past few years. This is a thing that happens. So um, an American couple, decide to take advantage of this because the husband's grandparents live in this town and they figure well we both work remotely and we can do this without you know this this will allow us to be homeowners and be close to family and live in this you know very different part of the world uh but the problem is the house that they move into uh is not in great shape let's say from a haunting perspective Uh, (laughs) And when, in fact, when they tell his grandparents which house they've moved into, his grandmother is furious and, like, frightened for them, and the other townsfolk start to kind of talk about it, and uh, they find out that there was a, like, long history of the Catholic Church owning this house, and priests doing something untoward in, like, the chapel inside, and uh, I'm really excited about it. I love a good religious horror novel. I love a good, you know, interesting setting that's not just sort of Anywheresville, USA. And uh, actually, Chris Golden is going to have a one-off um, horror convention in January with Brian Keene in Portsmouth, New Hampshire uh, called The House of Last Resort Weekend. Um, and I am going to be there and I hope... To see at least some of your listeners there. There are going to be a lot of other great authors there. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be fun. So I'm, I'm, this one is very shortly on my TBR because I need to edit (laughs) it before I get there. I will give a quick warning there are a lot of rats in this story as well. Just, ooh, okay. I can deal with rats. I just can't deal with cockroaches. No cockroaches. Lots of rats. (laughs) Great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I like uh, I like the stuff I've read of his, um, and I saw that one, and I was like, "All right, this is interesting." This, uh... but I, I've been lazy the last couple of months. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it an official thing. So, well, we'll see. But yeah, Chris Golden, good stuff. Yep, um, I'm I'm sneaking in a not horror one that's definitely not on on Emily's list, just because um, I I uh, it got it came onto my radar, and it was just so weird. And I've read, like, the first, like, 40 pages of it, and it's completely bizarre. But it's called You, Me, and Ulysses S. Grant, Whoa. a farcical biography. So, basically, this is a guy, Brad Neely, who created this, like, uh, web cartoon back in, like, I think the early 2000s called The Professor Brothers, which came got made into an Adult Swim cartoon. And he's been, like, a, um, uh, a writer for South Park and everything. This is, like, just batshit Crazy, so like it, it, it's a it's a biography of Ulysses S. Grant, but I honestly could not tell you what's real and what is just made up. And the way that like so like and and I'm not going to talk long about this, but it's just so bananas. So when he goes to um, West Point, the part it's like basically chronological of his life. The title of the chapter is "Kill School," <laughs> so it's just a real bananas like um, biography, historical kind of farce kind of thing. I started reading it and I'm like, this is great. And, and it's going to be very entertaining. And I was going to set up an interview to do an episode of the podcast with this guy. And I was like, I I can't do that. It's so weird. It's going to cook my brain. And then how am I going to talk to it with this guy? I to this guy about it. So, um, because You'll I talk to I,
0: us about it instead.
1: I know because I'm, I kind of chickened out of making it an episode on the podcast. I at least wanted to acknowledge that it's out there because if there's somebody who likes history, but from just like, I liken it to like, if you took drunk history to an extreme, like it's that kind of a thing. um, It seems really fun. So far it's fun.
2: That sounds like a blast. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So um, that was my, also my cheat of not having to put two, two books from the list on, on January. So I realize you guys are v- v- so much more informed than me. And, and even the books that you haven't read, you have these like really thought out ways of explaining them. And I'm not going to hit that mark. So like my, my That's explanations okay. are going to be much more basic and much more like my personal motivation than what the book is. But um,
2: I, I mean, look, Becky and I both have like long professional histories of being able to talk about, books that even, you know, books that we have read, but especially books we haven't read. And that comes from like a long history of, at least for me, being an English major and learning to bullshit my way through (laughs) about things I haven't read. (laughs) It's like
0: the job description for Reader's Advisory. I've been doing this since 2000. Um, But if we move into February, I do, I was noticing, because you were talking about, I was going to talk about both my books at the same time, because it goes back to our earlier conversation. It's the shortest month, and I didn't realize I did this, but I picked two novellas. So my no. oh. I know. So I think that I thought you did too. I looked at those. So I'm going to talk about them together because they're very different, but they're both excellent. So the first one is Your Shadow Half Remains by Sunny Moraine. Um, they are, I believe this is their first novel, but it's a novella. So it's a debut. This is, and I'm going to talk about it quickly for both of them. It sounds like Bird Box with the set, okay? So, or The Violence by Delia Dawson, in that it is this idea that we're sort of like mid apocalypse. Um, there is some kind of something that happened where you look any human, possibly animal, but definitely human, like they still don't know for sure, in the eye, you become very murderous. Like, even a photograph or a painting, again, no one's really very sure. Also, our narrator—I hmm, don't really trust the narrator. It's not <laughs> clearly like it's not set up as this is an unreliable narrator and there's a twist, but like clearly there is something going on here. Um, and and we're not getting the whole story because it's only through this one character's eyes. The character's name is Riley. They live alone on the shores of an isolated lake in a home that belonged to the grandparents before they murdered each other. Um, and Very engaging, even recounting, and this is a quote from the book, the horrifyingly banal downfall of society, which is fascinating, right? Um, Drawing readers in with a mixture of details from then and philosophical considerations about now, gaining our trust even as the, the story gets less and less, Riley gets less and less reliable. So it's very creepy, obviously, for the first line, but Riley does meet Ellis on the road one day, and they dare to connect, and so they they talk without looking at each other. And it is one of those sort of like bird box. And it's that slice of time. If you only had like the bird box parts that are in the present of the story, um, this slice of life as it's happening. And there's not really a resolution, um, but it really is about people connecting during this time. And. That whole unease of are they good people? Are they not good people? Also, is this all true? Is this? I I don't know. It was great. Like I got into this world. I was stuck in it, and I didn't want to leave. And then the other novella I read, which I loved even more, is by Tim McGregor. It's called Einhallow. I I love Tim McGregor's writing. Every time I read his books, I just love them. But especially his historical fiction. He wrote Heart Strange and Dreadful many years ago. This is the book you didn't know you needed. Um, and it's short and I, it's near perfect. It is, I'm going to jump to the chase. It's the Bride of Frankenstein story in print, but as historical fiction. So really he cool. takes this, it's so cool. So he takes this, Ein Hollow is an actual uninhabited island in the Orkney Islands. And like, I was Googling this thing the whole time. <laughs> it has literally been long considered to be haunted by trolls and finfolk, folk. And it was home to a hearty few families in 1851. This is
2: true.
0: Um, and uh, then they all like mysterious until 1851, they all mysteriously left. It's not really explained in history. It's explained in the book though. Um, and once a year, once a year now, people are allowed to go to that island like once a year with only like supervisors. Like this is all true. So McGregor says, okay, well, I'm going to set this in 19 in 1797. And Agnes is one of only 20 people living on Iron And so she is, you know, she's caring for her children. She's avoiding her husband's wrath. She's gossiping with her pregnant neighbor. Life is really hard and lonely. Visitors are rare. So when a rich foreigner with a, you know, weird name named Dr. Victor Frankenstein comes to hide himself away. Basically, he's there, you know this, because of his name, to try to finish, try to make his monster, who's very mad at him and chasing him, happy. (laughs) Um, We are told numerous times in the beginning that Agnes is very large, like overly large, and she's very, um, very masculine and big anyway they start to work together she ends up working for frankenstein it is heart wrenching as historical fiction about like the lives of women but it is creepy because it is based on like a real thing and the what he imagines is tragic as you of course you would probably assume but also it makes like i believe it happened now because no one's allowed <laughs> on that island they're only allowed to go <laughs> once a year like that's what's great historical fiction does right um the characters are amazing The setting is so great. Um, Like if you like uh, Amakatsu for sure, if you like any retellings like Sylvia Maria
2: Garcia, you will absolutely love this.
1: That's awesome. That sounds wonderful.
2: Yeah. It has a fantastic cover too. Um, (laughs) So I, as, as, as we discussed, I also picked two novellas. Um, there's something in the water, I guess, in February. The first is What Feasts at Night, which is the second T. Kingfisher Sworn Soldier novella, the sequel to What Moves the Dead. Um, and What Moves the Dead was in, in, in you know, classic T. Kingfisher horror fashion. Uh, she had written it as sort of a reimagining of the fall of the House of Usher, um, much as... The Twisted Ones was sort of a response to Arthur Mockin's The White People, and uh, The Hollow Places was kind of a response to um, Algernon Blackwood's The Willows. This, as far as I can tell, I have not read this yet, it appears to be an original story. Um, I was reading her sort of statement on, you know, upon the announcement of this book, and she said, you know, I just had so much fun writing Alex Easton, the main character, that I just wanted to stay with them. And so this is Alex Easton, uh, you know, having left the events of What Moves the Dead and having gone back to their home country, which is an invented country, um, and dealing with a moroi, which is a a sort of an Eastern European vampire-ish, spirit-ish creature, who appears to sort of be stealing the breath out of uh, sleeping people. And I I just love her writing so much. Um, there's a coziness to it, not to get into the fucking cozy horror debate, but there's a coziness to it. There's like a, <laughs> a sweetness to it, almost like a wry sort of comfort. But then she can turn on a dime and write some of like the scariest shit you've ever seen. And I know her tone doesn't work for everybody in the horror world. You know, people who like, you know, really more extreme, more like sort of nihilistic stuff are not going to respond well to T. Kingfisher, sure, but it's, it's for me. It is very much for me. And I just think she's wonderful and I hope she continues writing forever. Um, the second novella is more of a dark fantasy. It's The Butcher of the Forest by uh, Primi Mohamed and it's a standalone novella tour.com um as i said earlier there's there's very little i love more than you know a mysterious forest that eats you um once you go in you don't come out and this is the story of the only person who has gone into this forest and lived to tell the tale and when the this sort of like mysterious nameless tyrant who is ruling this land um his children end up in the woods and he tells her you have to go get them because you're the only person who can do it you know if you don't i will kill you and you know so she's literally stuck between a rock and a hard place um and she has one day to go in and retrieve these children and brave the you know Monsters and riddles and traps and tricks of this forest. Um, again, I have not read this one either, but I'm it, it. It is it ticks all of my boxes, and I can't wait to pick it up.
0: It reminds me of the book I was going to talk about for March. If we're, I think, right, we're moving to March.
1: Um, um, oh well, if, if Rob
2: has yeah. any February picks, I have a. Oh, that's have right, he
0: had February. I
1: have, I I have, that, a, sorry. I have a February. Oh, looks like I chose two. Um, there you go. Well, I might ask for some help. Have either of you read the book of Love by Kelly I'm Link?
2: Halfway through it.
1: So I might. All right, so basically, I'll tell you the reason I chose that one, um, and it's because I have not read Kelly Link before. Mm-hmm. However, I this this choice is completely on reputation because everybody I know who has raves about Kelly Link. And I feel like uh, part of part of like my last few years of reading is like my atonement for missing things that like I should not have missed. And so when I hear someone talk so highly about a specific author, then, you know, I, I want to make that a priority. So that's the reason I chose that book. But like reading the description of the book, first of all, I believe it's her first novel. Um, yeah. She has published previous short story collections that are acclaimed. Um And so that's kind of a milestone in itself. And if anybody wants a good description of it, Victor Laval, I believe in, um, in that talking scared episode talked about it and Mm -hmm. what he was looking forward to. So he does a great job of describing it, but the general gist is like um, these like couple of kids had gone missing and then they find themselves, they've like reappeared like in their, I think school. Um, And there's basically they had, they had disappeared and died and there's like a bargain that they can go through to kind of like come back and be reunited with their family and resurrected and everything. But it sounds like it's probably not going to go well is basically like my <laughs> understanding. So <laughs> um, if anybody wants to clean that up and make it sound better, but that, the, the general idea sounds cool. The page count sounds intimidating, but the author sounds like, uh, they're, they're, you know, that they're, they're awesome. So that's the, that's the reason I went with it.
2: Yeah. Kelly is a, a treasure and a legend and also just one of the nicest people in existence. Um, I'm <laughs> lucky enough to live one town over from her bookstore, Book Moon, uh, which is wow. a wonderful place. And I, I go in there and she and or her husband, Gavin, are frequently in there and we just have lovely long talks and recommend books to each other and it's it's the platonic ideal of a local indie bookstore um i'm as i said i'm halfway through this novel and i'm like deliberately taking my time with it because i don't want to leave the town of love's end um it's set in this imagined town uh completely unremarkable massachusetts town and it's yeah it's it's three teenagers who die mysteriously and then come back about a year later and they are brought back as sort of pawns in an ongoing power struggle between various supernatural entities um but the it's, it's really hard to describe because her writing is, I've seen it described as like idiosyncratic. And I guess that's a, a good word for it because nobody writes like she does. It's almost like nobody writes like George Sa- Saunders or, you know, nobody writes like Stephen Graham Jones. Yeah. Um, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that just like incredibly distinctive voice. And she writes with this incredible generosity Um, towards her characters towards the reader, you know, towards uh, everyone. She just is a very giving uh, writer and the inner lives of these teenagers are just given so much like weight and thoughtfulness and space to breathe. But like, it doesn't, it's not sentimental at all. It's, it's, funny and it's snappy and it's occasionally scary and disturbing. Um, God, there's a scene in the book where a, a cat who is not really a cat um eats itself starting with its tail and then just like its mouth just sort of turns inside out and vanishes and like, boy, that's a that's a visual that'll stick with you for the rest of your life. Um but it is wonderful and I as I said I'm I'm savoring it because I don't want it to end. Um, but yeah, I start her short fiction is just legendary, and this is her first novel. And it's her first novel after, you know, I, I don't even know how many short story collections, at least four, um, that netted her, you know, a MacArthur Genius Grant and a Pulitzer Finalist, you know, oh, uh, yeah. designation. So she is a real one, like unimpeachably good. Good choice, Rob. <laughs>
1: better than i knew apparently but so um that makes me think though that it's it's i haven't seen many authors start out and build up um a career based on collections of short stories like not a lot of names come to mind where that's that's the foundation that you're starting from i mean like i know uh brian evanson does tons of uh, short story collections. Um, so that's a name that comes to mind, but I, you know, like I, I can't think of a lot. Um, and, and I gotta imagine that's a hard way to try and, and build yourself up. So, um, yeah. So th-
2: there are, this happens more in, you know, quote unquote, literary fiction than it does in genre. And that's just because I think literary fiction audiences tend to be a little more receptive towards short story collections, which can be harder to market. Um, other names who come to mind, George Saunders, as I mentioned, yes. uh, did exactly this, and he's one of my all-time. I mean, he's not... He's also sort of unclassifiable. I mean, Kelly Link is not strictly a horror author, you know, nor is she strictly a fantasy author, nor is she strictly... Uh, she's like... It's it, It's almost magical realism except that magical realism has a very uh, defined set of uh, like uh criteria you know it's a very it very specifically applies to like latin american writing um it does have that same kind of feel it's just like the magical infecting the every day um mm-hmm. whereas you know george Sa- well i could do a whole tangent on george saunders but um <laughs> yeah it doesn't happen often but when it does happen you know and george saunders came out with a a book that's not, his first novel was not all that dissimilar to the book you were talking about, the, the non-horror pick from January, um, which was sort of a reimagining of the life, well, the, a specific episode in the life of Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, I had a, another quick pick that was like a last minute ad for myself for February, and I'm not going to talk much about it because this is brand new to me, but there's a book called Mewing like Chloe Spencer and it's coming out from shortwave publishing. Um, first of all, shortwave I'm starting to like a lot um, and it's a novella. So that was another reason that it like took <laughs> the box for me, but um, it, it's very modern. Like it's a, you know um, someone who wants to be a successful influencer wants to join this like well-known group of like influencers and um, tries to ingratiate her with herself with like the, the leader of this group and, and, Things go bad, um, and I even looked up the term "mewing." Is an actual? Do you guys know what that is? Apparently, it's when you press your tongue against the top of your mouth in order to like give yourself better jaw structure or something like that. It's like a beautif. It's like a self beautification. Like
0: my Gen Z <sighs> children were just talking about this yesterday.
1: Yeah. So that's the title <laughs> like of this 21 book. and
0: eighteen-year-old. Yeah. So, feel so old. I'm yeah. feeling
1: like. <laughs> Because of that, I got a much modern, like new culture kind of feel from that. And that's something that like, I love to see tapped into and I'm hoping that it taps into it in a good way where it, it cause like I've had conversations with so many authors that are like, I don't know how to write technology. I don't know how to write, you know, like f- modern stuff. And so that's why I set my stuff in the eighties. Um, and so I like to see people exploring things that are, are newer and fresh and see how they can use that to their advantage. So um, I got hope for this book.
0: Excellent. Yeah, so I have great. a fun one. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So I have a fun one for March that um, I was excited about. And then when it actually pans out, I get even more excited. So it's the new Gwendolyn Keist, The Haunting of Velkwood. Um, this is how I'm telling people, because I don't want to get too much away about this either. But first of all, it's if you liked the Rust Maidens, it's like the Rust Maidens all grown up. And I say that knowing that in the Rust Maidens, there is a timeline where the characters are grown up. But this is like, if the characters in the Rust Maidens grew up, the the main character, and could like write the story, a a more mature story, this is it. Um, It's basically like an X-Files episode, okay? So these, this entire neighborhood, a real thing, somewhere in a very not specific, but like the exurbs, like outside the suburbs, right? This one neighborhood that was built, like just the one block got built and the rest of the neighborhood didn't get built, disappears. And it doesn't just disappear. Like this is a known thing that the world watched happen. It's like behind a veil and people can like see it fuzzy, but no one can go into it. And so it's like, 20 years later, so people are sort of over it, even though it still exists, right? <laughs> like, they're over it, it was just such a cool thing. Like, that, but here's the thing, the night, the night it happened, the, the, the day it happened was a Monday morning. The night before, uh, three girls who went to who go to college left to go back to college for spring break, and they're the only three survivors. So um the main character is the one that and you can imagine this has really screwed them up. Like the main character is um her name is Talitha, and she, the other girls are Brett and Grace. And Talitha and Brett um were very, very close. And um Grace is was their friend as well, but her like fiance was left behind back there, like the boy she was gonna marry. Talitha's little sister's left behind. Um very complicated relationship with her family, with her with her stepdad, or I don't know if they were married, but like it was like not her real dad. Anyway, these girls left. and There's one other girl their age who stayed behind, and basically, Grace at one point went and, try, and was gone and came back. Talitha is not doing well; she's like in her 40s, not doing great. And researchers, like paranormal researchers, who are writing like papers on this, are asking her to go back. So she goes back, and that's all I'm going to talk about. But she will. If, if Reluctant Immortals got her the Lambda Award for Bisexual Fiction, this will also, like, this should win a Lambda Award as well. It's really honest portrayal of um, these, these friendships and these girls and these growing up and, and their feelings and what it means when they were growing up and how people kept them apart. It was just, it was great. And they felt all so real. And um, going back to take the thing that ruined you and, like, conquering over it, There's like actual resolution here, which I really liked. It was done in a way that it was totally believable that this is actually like a neighborhood behind this veil that people couldn't see. So really fun. It's about, you know, suburban malaise as much as it's like (laughs) X-Files. Definitely worth, worth, I cannot wait
2: for this one.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, Do you want to just, I don't have marches, so you guys can just do however you want to do it.
2: Emily, do you have another one you want to talk about? Yeah, I have two for March. Um, the first one is Barrier Gaze, an anthology of tragic queer horror, um, and and just and this is edited by Sofia Ajram, who is sort of newer in the horror space, and they're just really cool. They actually, incidentally, also made my wedding ring because they're an incredibly talented jeweler. Um, <laughs> it's a very oh, small go. and strange world. Um, <laughs> This is honestly like everything we said about anthologies earlier on stands. And this one, I was looking at the table of contents and I was like, okay, this is Cassandra Kaw, This is Joe Koch. This is Gretchen Felker Martin. This is August Clark. This is tons of names I don't even know. And that's, again, going back to that sort of tasting menu idea. I was like, great. I can introduce myself to all of these people I've never heard of who I want to watch, you know, who I want to follow their careers. Um, and I like the framing of it too is, is, you know, tragic queer horror, right? This is like, you know, obviously the sort of the the barrier gaze trope is um, people responding to depictions in media where queer people cannot be happy and stay that way. Right. They might have a partner and like, one of them dies tragically and it's used as sort of like fuel for the plot line. And it just gets really old. Um, And so this is a subversion of that. It's like, okay, we're actually going to embrace that. Like not every story does end happily. And we're going to give, you know, make space for that. And so I'm really excited to see where they go with this.
1: And to quickly disambiguate, I think, Chuck Tingle's book is also called Barrier Gaze, right? So this is different it than is, that. Yes. So I just want to make sure that people are but aware that's we're talking coming
2: about- out after the book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, that one comes out in July. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so that'll be next uh, next round, maybe. Um, but I just wanted to, because I know that that's also a book that is getting you know uh, attention. So different. This is the anthology, not the Chuck Tingle book. Yeah. Um. And Becky, do you
2: want to do your other March pick? yeah let me do, i'm going to go quick on this so this
0: is Cynthia Palayo's third book in her Chicago fairy tales retelling but it's also very important this is her first book with Thomas Mercer so it's a big publisher um i i had the unique experience that because I, and i know Cynthia and so i got to read this book before it went out to publishers and see the different version it became after Thomas Mercer's editors looked at it and i I loved the pre- the premise didn't change, but I thought I wasn't going to be happy with the new the new version. But I am. <laughs> I loved it. I'm giving it a star in the J- January issue of Library Journal. Here's the thing: it, same format she usually does. There's a mystery. There's um, but there's also a fairy tale. In this case, it's the Little Mermaid. But also, there's Chicago history. And I know Rob probably knows this, but a lot of people don't know that one of the worst shipwreck incidences ever happened in the in Chicago River. And it's the Eastland disaster. And it was extremely tragic. And I'm not gonna give away what it is. Those of you who like Rob and I live in the Chicago area know about it, but it's it's really good to learn about it because she treats it with she always does with history, the the grace, the, the love she gives to the people whose lives were lost. In this book, you can feel it. You can feel the love for all of these victims who really history have forgotten really outside of, of Chicago. Um, Uh, The original, it's called Forgotten Sisters. The original title was Funeral at Clark Street Bridge. So um, that is where some of this takes place. And a main character is Anna. It's all from her point of view, except for a few chapters from a detective's point of view. And it's set in the present with those links to the past. She has a podcast where she talks about uh, ghosts and histories. There's these wonderful things that are nods to like how important ghost stories are, that they always have some fact in them. And I, that's just it's just so much love, but also so much creepiness and death. It's Two sisters, Anna and Jenny, and um, I believe the other sister's Jenny. I could get that wrong. Yeah, Jenny. Um, and they live alone in this tiny little house on the Chicago River that has been in only a few families' histories. It's like an original Sears house. It's little. It's on the river. And it's surrounded by these larger buildings. And they meticulously keep track of the house. The sister's obsessed with... Um, old uh, recording things. So the sister takes care of like people send them like her old phonograph machines and she fixes them. Anna, our narrator is very much about um, the history of the house. Then this is true. Like in um, children of Chicago, especially of young men are being found on the river. And this actually happens in Chicago a lot. Every time there's a new body, I text her and we talk about it. Um, and there's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's she's looking into the true history. I know it's, it's really. And so There's a story about maybe why it's happening. And there's a lot of love for these people who've gone missing too, which is very nice. Again, she treats it with a lot of grace and and love. And so there's the story about who's killing them. Why are they dying? Why is everything seeming to lead back to their house? There's a tragedy in their own life. And it all comes together in like this beautiful scene that you're just gonna wanna start crying. Um, And there are real ghosts in this story as well as um, the historical uh, deaths. So it's, it's beautiful
2: and riveting and riveting. You you told me about this book when we sat down back in March to talk about like second half of 2023, you were telling me about this book. And I was like, so I've been anticipating it for like nine months at this point. And I'm like banging on my desk at this point, give <laughs> me this book. Oh, so good. I... Um, actually, weird sidebar is that My first job ever was working for a friend of the family who repaired and resold antique phonographs. Oh, (laughs) you'll love this then. So I can't wait. I'll buy two copies.
1: Um, I will just say that um, I don't make it out to a lot of book events uh, locally, but every time I do, not only is she there, but she is the most enthusiastic. person and she's very social and um just strikes me as as just like someone who's so passionate about this um community that she's like a part of the writing writing community and horror specifically she
0: just loves chicago and
1: chicago so like um i know i can just count on i'll I'll just be like i'll just get to an event and i'll just kind of settle in and be like there she is and she seems so nice (laughs) But I, I'm I'm not at the point where because I, I, she probably has no idea who I am. Um, I have not introduced myself to her yet. Um, so uh, she's yeah, so. Nervous. We'll, we'll make that anyway. happen. Yeah, we'll make that yeah. happen, yeah. Rob. <laughs> but yeah, very positive uh, impression of her, just as a person outside of the fact that you know, like obviously, um, the writing is, is a whole different thing. Yeah, that's all I got. You want to move on to another? Emily March?
2: has another one. Yeah. I have one more for March. Um, this is another one I have not read. Um, it's Mouth by Joshua Hull. And this caught my attention, A, because the, the pitch is great. It's about um, a man who inherits some land from like a strange old guy, and he discovers that oh, there yeah. is a mouth in the ground, like, a literal mouth, like a mouth with teeth in the ground on this plot of land. And he is somehow now the caretaker of this mouth. And then he sort of bonds with this like younger woman who lives nearby into sort of like investigating how and why this came to be. And the other reason that this caught my attention is that the author was the screenwriter of one of my favorite indie movies of last year, which was called Glorious. which is sort of a... It's, it's set almost entirely in a deserted rest area bathroom. And this man, who is clearly going through some shit, ends up in this rest area bathroom. And a voice starts talking to him from the next stall. And there's a glory hole in the wall between the two stalls. And the guy in the next stall, who you never see... Is his voice is played by J.K. Simmons, um, who is just a, a treasure, and it's it's short. It's yeah. like an hour and fifteen minutes, and it's funny, and it executes this like absolutely incredible twist that I'm not going to spoil. Um, I believe it's on Shutter. So if any of you are, are or it's not especially scary either. It's really more sort of like dark and intriguing. Um, but I loved it so much that this is going to be an automatic buy for me. I'm I'm really wow. hyped about this book.
1: That's Ooh. awesome. Um, J.K. Simmons, which, by the way, like I've seen the pictures of him, like you know, like lifting weights at the gym and stuff, and I'm like, that guy's got a lot of muscles. So, <laughs> um, uh, and should, you
0: should get. Uh, Yeah, he does. You should go first for April since you didn't have mine. I'm gonna,
1: yeah, I'm gonna. Um, so my April, I just have one April pick, and it is First Light by Liz Karen. Um, her debut novel came out in 2023, um, called Night's Edge. Um, and that is, uh, this is this First Light book is the sequel to Night's Edge. Uh, Night's Edge basically this really uh, it, it's got a vamp- it's a vampire book but really it's about this mother daughter relationship where um, the daughter is hiding the family's dark secret which is that her mom's a vampire and uh, she has to give her own blood to sustain her mom uh, and and can't she basically like forfeits her having a normal life in order to kind of keep things okay and make sure that her mom is, is protected from what could happen if she's found out. Um, so as much as there's vampires involved, it's really this really focused mother daughter relationship story. And talking about like what the links will go to, to protect the people in our lives and, and really like, like, you know, having someone who's not the best mom um, taking advantage of you and things like that uh, plus vampires. And so, uh, I really enjoyed that. It was one of my episodes in twenty twenty three and this sequel is shaping up to be uh more of uh, almost kind of revengey, uh where the the person who got her mom into this situation is still out there and she she goes looking for him. so um I enjoyed the the first I'm sorry, the night's Edge book. I thought it was is well done and it does that thing where it makes it more about the characters than the weird. Thing that you know, kind of like supports the book, and I love it when really I just care about the characters, even if some of them are vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that got me hooked, and I've just been looking forward to the sequel since then.
2: Wonderful, yeah. I, I think my initial pitch for the first her first book was. Um, uh, a woman and her mom who is both an emotional vampire and an actual vampire. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I read that one too. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all I got for April. So well, it's all that's, it's that's a interesting.
0: Cause I'm going to do my second one first then, because <laughs> um, it it's marketed as a vampire book, but it's not really. So it's bless your heart by Lindy Ryan. And okay. First of all, I really enjoyed this book. Um, There's fangs and stuff. And I just don't think it does it justice because it is a Southern story. Like if you like Grady Hendrix, it's a Southern story. It's a family story. And Rachel Harrison, you're going to love this story. So it's 1999. It's a small town in Southeast Texas where everyone knows everybody else's business. Hence the title, (laughs) Bless Your Heart. And the Evans women run the only funeral parlor. And they have for generations. Okay. So currently we have the matriarch, Ducey, who's 80. She's assisted by her daughter and her granddaughter. And then they have their teenage great granddaughter. So when the town gossip, which is really fun, right, is the first person um, that, that we encounter. She's literally being brought to the funeral parlor. It's like the first scene. Um, she comes back from the dead, literally rising out of her coffin. Um, right, Like hours before the visitation. But here's the thing. The Evans women, those three I mentioned, the teenager's not there then um do what they have for generations they protect the town from the powerful ancient Strigo- Strigois, strigoi strigoi s t r i g o i it's like they're like an ancient undead kind of vampire more like a ghoul right so they stake her through the heart and that's it they're like okay that's what we do blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> this is the start of a violent string of ever emboldening attacks and as the bodies pile up it's getting harder and harder for the evans women's to deny that the onslaught may be tied to luna who's that youngest um, and that's really important. That becomes important. And this is the point where they're supposed to be telling her what the family business is anyway, because it's like when you, um, she was born like 15 years ago or she's 16. So, um, they were going to have to tell her anyway, and they've waited a little too long. We get the multiple points of view from all four women and well developed, utterly unforgettable cast of characters, including the, um, the hapless people, the law enforcement. Um, and they're, what I love about this story is it's a Southern story of these women who are beating back both the ghouls and their family secrets. It's got Southern charm, really dark humor, but like, I didn't want to not visit them again. There is, it is closed, but there is a chance we could go back because I mean, there's still women there. There's still the, the town, they go through these cycles where this happens and it's all explained and the world is great. It's violent by the way. Do not like the Southern Charm is great, but there's like people getting like eaten and stuff. It's, but it is just perfect. Bless your
2: heart is like the perfect title. That sounds amazing. It sounds really fun. And boy, just to hear you talk about it, the cover really does not do it justice, huh?
0: No, the cover is terrible.
2: Yeah, they're going for that sort of like illustrated, cutesy, like women's fiction romance look, and I don't, eh, that doesn't sound like it's going to match at all.
0: (laughs) So frustrated. It's, yeah, yeah, we'll see. It's Rachel Harrison mixed with Grady Hendrix,
2: like, perfectly. Amazing. I love them both. Um, So my first pick for April is Indian Burial, excuse me, Indian Burial Ground by Nick Medina. Um, His, I believe it was his first novel was Sisters of the Lost Nation, Um, And he does this very sort of, like, focused on Native peoples living on the reservation um, and writes these sort of mythologically inflected stories that also address, like, the issues that contemporary Natives living on reservations deal with, Um, you know, lack of resources alcoholism, uh, knowing everybody else's business and not being able to escape it. Um, so I'm only a couple of chapters into this one so far, but it opens quite literally with a bang with uh, a woman who's driving to work at the local casino and a man runs out in front of her car and is killed. And we sort of immediately jump over to the friend of the dead guy who is, uh, learns of his death like in the you know second chapter and is having a hard time coping with it and her uncle has just come back to the reservation for a a visit and he seems to know more about what's going on than he's really willing to let on just yet and it gets into you know strange things start happening all around this community um you know uh young man has died and at his wake he sits up in his coffin and speaks and then you know collapses back dead again and uh there's a character who is uh basically homebound but kind of watches everything going on and like gives sort of cryptic hints to the main character and i'm really enjoying it so far and i also love the title i mean that sort of cheeky reclamation of the trope of the indian burial ground is like i can't wait to see where he goes with this um also a fantastic cover on this one it's a great cover and i got to interview him for like a
0: library journal event and i was like i love how you take the things that are stereotypes because the the first one had like the casino right yeah and you turn and you take the trope and you reclaim it without being like, see what I'm doing? Like he just does, and (laughs) it's really good. I'm going to be reading that one in a few weeks for a review, I'm very excited.
2: Yeah, the first book was about, you know, missing and murdered um, indigenous women. And so this, yeah, it's very much like, we are dealing with real shit here, but like, I'm gonna kind of sneak it into your, you know, sandwiched in a good story, which is just always a feat. Mm -hmm. Um, I have another one, I'm gonna be
0: really quick because, it's the Eric LaRocca collection that's coming out in April called This Skin Was Months, Mine, and Other Disturbances. I read this. You'll be able to read my review by the time this comes out for free on Library Journal because it is a star. It is – I just think one of the things I say in the review is he's a viral sensation for all the right reasons. I, I think that the thing about Eric LaRocca, these stories are shocking. They are violent. Like These are all things you know, Right but like you read them and you were like, this is horrible. I can't stop reading this. (laughs) Um, And and the, you know, there's one story in there. I believe it's the, well, the very last line of the book, I'm not going to give it away, is one of the very best last lines of a book, let alone the story that I've ever read. I loved it. Um, But one of the stories in the middle, the second to the end is about this weird, this store where this guy goes to buy a knife, but it turns out the guy who owns the store is part of this like weird cult of people who like insert glass into themselves to feel the pain. And then they have to like get someone else to do it. And it's, it just, you can't stop breaking it. Even though you know you should. Um, (laughs) This is why I think he's doing such a great job. And I feel like, even though they're awful things and they're, the pages fly by, you don't like yourself for liking it, but you do. Um, But there's a lot of universal truths that are unveiled. Uh, which by taking sort of that mo- mundanity of life and taking it a little bit outside, there's a lot you can, you can get from there. I really love how it's, their stories are thought provoking, they're resonant. And I think that they're necessary in what we have as kind of a prudish publishing landscape that the reason people are drawn to his stories is because he pushes those envelopes, but the universal truths are there. And there's, I just, I, this is excellent. I know he has a novel coming out also later in the year with Titan. This is part mm-hmm. of like a deal with Titan. This one, another great cover also. Yep. Um, but again, all the trigger warnings, it comes with a trigger warning at the beginning from him saying, you need to check on yourself if you're reading this book, like, mm-hmm. please. But anyway, read it, read it. We're in I- May, so you can go, Rob.
1: <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I. So for May... Actually, I just wanted one quick note about Eric LaRocca because um, uh, I was listening to him on I think this is horror talking about the the reissue of Everything the Darkness Eats, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I thought was really great about that, which kind of you know um, makes me uh, kind of puts in perspective to him like to me what he's about, was like he redid the ending of that book, and I think if I remember correctly, and if I didn't hear this right, please correct me, but like one of the things that he was changing it for was because the uh the original ending was a little too optimistic <laughs> <And> so <laughs> because he likes to to examine and explore the dark stuff and um it sounds like he really finds value in looking at the suffering and the the hard things that we go through and then we have to endure and it, it just it just tickled me that um he he went as far as to uh, update his book because for for kind of for that reason at least if I if I heard that right so yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that was worth noting because that to me kind of broadly defined kind of what he's about but probably explains why he's so good at doing it because he's really dedicated to it. So all right, May I have one? This is an author I have not read before, but I liked elements of what i read about this book so i chose it the house that horror built first of all it's got that kind of classic title that you would see and even like the the um cover kind of evokes like a classic horror movie title kind of thing but the general idea being um this person is working at this old mansion that um is owned by a like a movie director and so it's full of all these like props and everything and There's like a place you can't go in and like you start, you you know, they think they start hearing things from behind the door. So it's like a real classic setup. It's not, you know, it sounds like the story we've all heard before. Um, But there's just elements in there that I'm really attracted to. I like the idea of the employee who doesn't know what they're in for. Um, I like the idea of old mansions. And for some reason, and there's so many examples of this, um, movies, uh, or people who create movies or lore about movies or, or, or whatever it is really tie in well with horror stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it's just, it's got, it's like a, it's like one of those, it's like a chocolate chip cookie recipe. It's got all these things that sound good to me. Um, and, and that's what kind of drew me to this book. But like, I I don't know, like, it just seems like a, a setup that I'd, I'd like, and then I don't know if you guys know anything about Christina Henry uh, or have any thoughts about this book specifically, but that's what drew me into wanting to to read this.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know more about it than the uh, than the synopsis, but yeah, that's always a, a, a movie tie-in into fiction is always going to be a good sell for me.
1: Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's all I've got for for May, so I will hand it over.
2: I'll do. Oh, I, oh you want to go, Emily? Go. I just I'm so excited. This I'm cheating a little yes. bit because I did just <laughs> uh, do a I did a year end wrap up episode of Talking Scared um, that aired on December 19th, and that was a blast. Um, and we talked about some of our most anticipated for 2024, and I wasn't going to repeat any. But I have to talk about this book in as many places as I possibly can. It's The Z-Word by Lindsay King-Miller. I'm about to read it for review myself. Oh, Becky, I'm so excited for you. (laughs) I fell in love with this book. It is Lindsay's debut novel. Um, It is about a woman, sort of like awkward, slightly lost woman who has moved to this small town in Arizona and has recently uh, totally fucked up her relationship with her girlfriend, and they've broken up. And so she's trying to get through Pride Weekend with her like dignity and self-esteem mostly, in ta- mostly intact, because as with so many queer communities, you know her girlfriend is invited to all the same parties she's going to, her ex-girlfriend, excuse me. Um, and then, a zombie outbreak happens. And it's not, I mean, it's not classic zombies, it's To say too much about that would be a spoiler, but um, things go very, very wrong, very, very quickly, and she has to sort of rely on this, you know, found family queer community to get her, you know, get herself through and to save as many people as they can. And the the tagline is something like, you know, the first pride was a riot, the last pride will be a bloodbath. Um, which is very acu- accurate. It is a very like gory and devastating and violent book, but it's also really funny and really touching in a lot of ways. There are some there were a couple character deaths that like really got to me. it made me cry. But there's also one of my favorite characters in any book in recent memory um, who is the non-binary stoner pizza delivery person named Sunshine, <laughs> who is a perfect exemplar of one of my all-time favorite character tropes, which is like the unexpected prepper. It's not not a prepper exactly. <laughs> like they weren't preparing for the apocalypse. They just happened to be perfectly well-suited to surviving it. <laughs> and like entirely, like they're like driving around in a, you know, a, ca- a delivery car decked out with like a flamethrower and like barbed wire on the hood. And they're just out there delivering pizzas and the apocalypse. And I love them so (laughs) much. Um, It also manages to be this really great indictment of rainbow capitalism. There is like a sinister corporate sponsor involved in this pride event. Um, So there's like, there's a message there as well, but like it does not get in the way of a rip roaring good time of a story it is such a great book and it has a glorious cover and i'm not gonna shut up about it forever pretty much <laughs> it does have a cool cover
0: i yeah i've seen it
1: yeah um, i got excited about that when i read the the synopsis yeah, for it so did
0: so. i and that's why i requested you know, it to review it was because Emily's <laughs> list made it
2: oh it's so good
0: <laughs> um so i'm gonna talk about one of the most anticipated books of like the year of like the last four years. It's the angel of Indian Lake by Stephen Graham Jones. And Rob got mad that I stole this one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're better suited to talk about it. You can read
0: my review by the time this comes out, a star review in the January issue of library journal. Um, So what I need to tell you that you need to know is that I have said this in writing. I will be in writing. Like Stephen Graham Jones has given us a gift. This is an Epic tale for the ages. It ends exactly perfectly. Um, it's a high octane violent slasher. It's also a frank and thought provoking indictment of America, past and present. Um, it's for any reader, especially those who love horror, who like type books that stay true to their genre roots by always striving to let readers see themselves and their reality and its terror. Um, this is everything you want from the story. So, you know, we had the first book, My Heart is a Chainsaw, was, was narrated exclusively by Jade. The middle book, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, was Jade and Letha and a few others. And this one is back to Jade again. And I really like that symmetry, the closure. We needed those other voices in the middle book. So again, every book is four years apart. And I happen to have the, the blessing of reading this book on literally the day it is set I finished it on November 1st, 2023, which is the day the book ends. I did not do that on purpose.
2: (laughs) Um, Nobody else
0: can do that. I'm sorry because it'll be passed, but this one is set around Halloween. So there's been the massacres and the first two books. And I do not want to give away a lot. It brings everything together. There are a lot of people who die. Okay, It's a high body count, but it brings back every mythology from Drown Town to the angel, to those characters who died in the very first scene in the Ooh. very first book. I mean, one of the things I love about Graham Jones yes. writes is that every detail matters. Yeah, um, And it is, it is an absolutely emotionally draining book, but it's also high octane. And the thing I love about it is, and you know, like you can tell that, that, Stephen is a girl dad on his own because Jade has grown <laughs> so much. Um, she knows who she is after her second sit in prison. She's embraced her native heritage. She is finding herself and who she truly is outside of the way the world has defined her. Um, and that was also awesome. Um, perfect. It, near, I, I cannot wait to buy all three together. Like again, Like <laughs> buy them all again in some kind of box set. So it will be everything you expected. Um, and it, it's wonderful i can't wait
1: i have to say um really excited that he honors like the the actual first first blood because like oh he does because who does that who bring the first blood is just like a scene setting it's not something that's supposed to be like you know integral so that's that's fantastic um
0: every character who's been and and (laughs) died in previous books I mean, has their, like, not that they all come back or something, but they all, the stories are all brought back and everything. It's, it's truly one book in, in three parts. It really is.
1: Um, and I heard that you're going to cry. So, um,
0: you're going to cry. Like if you don't cry, like you're, you're a monster.
1: (laughs) Before we move away from this relevant to the podcast, and I have not announced this yet, but, um. Um, I have episodes planned where me and my friend Jesse Lawrence, yes. who um for people who don't know, is based I call him Steven's little brother. He's like been the big Steven fanboy uh since Steven was writing like before Demon Theory, probably it was he's been there the whole time. He's like the ride or die uh, uh Steven enthusiast. He's adorable. <laughs> and he's awesome. He's a great, he's just the greatest guy, but he's so knowledgeable about Steven stuff. So him and Greg Green are joining me. We're doing three episodes. We're doing a deep dive into each book. So we're going to do in January, a deep dive into my heart is a chainsaw. Mm -hmm. February. We're going to do a deep dive into um, don't fear the reaper. And then March, we're going to do a deep dive into uh, the angel of Indian Lake and from what I understand, maybe there's a publication date change, so we it might be a little bit. It was supposed to be
0: in March, and now it's May. Yes.
1: Yeah. So we're, we're, I think we're going to stick to the schedule, um, but I'm really excited. Because I like read Don't Fear the Reaper, and I was like, man, I really should have gone back and reread My Heart as a Chainsaw mm-hmm. before I did this. And so I want to honor the trilogy by having not only reread the books, but had a deep dive discussion about them as well. Um, so that's the plan right now for the podcast. Well, uh, I gave you free be... advertising. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, and Stephen uh, uh, is supposed to be sending me an arc. We'll see how that we'll see how that goes. So, um, I have an pub- extra
0: one. It, I can get it too you if you need it.
1: Huh. We'll talk. Um, it's not he because he he'll be like, yeah, yeah, of course this makes sense. But then when it gets to a publisher, you know they have different ideas sometimes. So we'll see. Um, but I'm very excited for that. Yes. Um, Emily. Did you have another May, yes. Emily?
2: I do. Okay. And um, this is a book that I don't know a goddamn thing about, uh, except for <laughs> what I have read on the synopsis. Uh, it is Supplication by Noor Nakul, um, And this is from I believe it's Penguin Random House Canada's strange light imprint, and they publish some interesting things. Um, billing itself is a literary horror novel, which I know people have strong feelings about that term but i (laughs) often i respect what it is going for in that like okay this is not like the blockbuster slasher this is the like okay you're gonna you're gonna have some you're gonna have a weird time and maybe come out the other side a little different um from what i can tell from the publisher's copy it's about a woman who wakes up tied to a chair in a basement with a strange man you know uh, hovering over her and then when she gets out into the city she finds that it is you know changed and upsetting and dangerous and you know the words that kind of get tossed around for this kind of book are hallucinatory and fever dream nightmare and I'm a real sucker for a well-executed, um, like fever dream of a book. Uh, so this looks right up my alley. It sounds like she she takes kind of a journey through this like horrifying city and uh, encounters, you know, good and bad people along the way. And I, I like a good a good journey narrative too. Plus, the cover on this one is absolutely stunning. <laughs> are important. <laughs> they really are, I, man. They really are. No, they really, I they know, are that's are. why I got upset about the "Bless Your Heart." I don't think
0: <laughs> it's the right cover for this mm-hmm. book. So, um, I have one more that I'm don't haven't read yet. The rest of the books I haven't read, yet, but I'm set to review it. And I actually did not put it on right away because I didn't know if Emily was going to talk about it because I heard her talking about it on Talking Scared. But it's called Ghost Roots Stories by yes. I believe it's pronounced uh, Poo Aguda. Um, Mm -hmm. I am a sucker, if you couldn't tell, from one of my first books for African-set horror stories. And these are set in Lagos, Nigeria, which is actually – I've read quite a few books set in Lagos because I find it fascinating. And they're stories, but they all unfold against the same – right in the same setting. They're all in Lagos. uh, And it's uncanny. And they seem like – Lauren Groff uh, blurred it, so I really like her work. Oh, yeah. Uh, And they're chilling. And it seems like a lot of women involved. So I'm really excited to get to read it and I'll be reviewing it. I don't remember for who, but it's on my <laughs> list. Also a very
2: cool <laughs> cover. Um, yeah, I have a galley well. of this one on its way and I'm really excited.
0: And I have an e-galley right now. So I'm very, yeah. yeah. I, is, a... I love stories and, and I'm really excited to try a new author with stories. And sort of what I was saying before about novellas, I do like to have, I believe it's in my library journal column, I do like to have stories because it helps me break up. I don't want to just have eight books that are all like a giant novel for people to see things. So I'm excited.
2: If you want a little preview of her work, Becky, Mm -hmm. um, do you remember the Nightfire audio anthology, uh, Come Join Us by the Fire? She had a story in there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah. She's been on my radar since then. So I'm really excited about this. I'm excited to
0: read. I love reading entire collections by someone who's new to me, like you mentioned earlier, the Primi Muhammad
2: mm-hmm. um, novella.
0: Mm-hmm. And I read her uh, story collection last year and absolutely mm-hmm. loved it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to do that.
2: Wonderful. Well, are we hey, in June now? June. Uh, crazy.
1: June.
2: Rob, you should go
0: first. Cause you, you took the big, two big blockbusters.
1: I, I didn't mean to. No, oh, um, it's great.
0: I love it. Yeah, you but did a little bit about the Mallerman.
1: <laughs> I meant to about Josh. But so um yeah, so my first June one is uh incidents around the house, Josh Mallerman. Um and uh, part of it is because of my like in, in my undying love for Josh as a person. Um mm-hmm. and and um but uh, honestly like I, I liken him in a way, kind of to Stephen Graham Jones in a way where um, yeah, they're both prolific and they they write horror and all that stuff, but like, they both seem like they just are so in love with stories. And um, so that makes me like Josh Miller a lot. When I was talking to him about um, da- no, not Daphne. What's the most? Uh, Spin of Black Yarn. Sorry, I just lost mm-hmm. my mind for a second. Um, one of the things that came up in the conversation was like haunted houses. And I was like, one of the problems I have sometimes with haunting stories is the question of why don't they just leave? And when I said that, he was like, "That's what my next book is about." And so, <laughs> that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it was because um, we had that that moment where he's like, "Oh, let me tell you." And so, uh, basically, um, there's a it's like a a young child, and um, I, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna eloquently do this, but basically, the thing that the thing that hooks me about like the premise of this story is. Um, you know, this, you know, this girl's got her family and everything, but there's also someone in the house she calls other mommy and that's really creepy. Um, and so, uh, obviously this is like the haunting aspect. Other mommy right. is this bad element in a house and like things just get worse and worse. And so, um, children's perspectives, especially when things like that are happening to me is always compelling because, Again, it's that perspective that's different and they don't, in a way they're bolder because they don't understand to be scared necessarily. Uh, So it it gives a a unique perspective on what would be a a traditional kind of haunting idea. But um, I I was just kind of excited about the idea of him addressing the question of why don't they just leave? Um, But it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a really cool story.
0: And then you might as well do the other one too. Cause you have the other big book.
1: Oh yeah. horror!
0: <laughs> I'm reading that one for review soon. So the next one,
1: I'm just going to read cause it's a really short. I'm just going to read what um, the, the publisher says about it. Um, in June, 1993, a group of young guerrilla filmmakers. Wait,
0: you didn't say spent... the title. Go back. You didn't say the title. All
1: right. Sorry. Horror movie by Paul Trembley. Um, and Paul, again, just one of my, I actually have a story. I've never said this publicly, but back in 2013, AWP was happening in Boston, which is where Paul lives near. I think he lives outside of Boston. Yes. Um, and me and a group of people were staying at this one hotel, and we were going to have this party one night. Um, but we were partying the night before pretty heavily, and the hotel was basically like, you guys need to cut it out. And so the next day, when everybody was going to come over for this party, Paul's like, hey, what's going on? And I had to be like, sorry, Paul, you can't come. <laughs> <laughs> And I felt guilty for years for like being so mean to Paul by telling him he can't come to our party. And I and like one of the times I had him on the podcast, I was like, Paul, this has been bothering me forever. I told you, I, I ditched you about this party at AWP. And he's like, he was so gracious about it. He's like, dude, I get it. I live nearby. Like if I went to a party or not, it's no big deal. Like he was just so nice about it. And I was like, this has literally been like, weighing me down for years that i was like mean not mean but like i had to like diss one of the nicest guys so um
2: he is such anyway. a bench. he really is just a lovely he's, lovely guy
1: he really is he's great um maybe
2: anyway, he should read the blurb because yeah it's, i'm gonna read that uh, yeah fascinating so in june
1: 1993 a group of young guerrilla filmmakers spent four weeks making horror movie a notorious disturbing art house horror flick um, the weird part only three of the film scenes were ever released to the public but horror movie has nevertheless grown a rabid fan base three decades later Hollywood is pushing for a big budget reboot oh this is longer than I thought there was a read more uh, the man who played the thin kid is the only surviving cast member he remembers all too well the secrets buried within the original screenplay the bizarre events of the filming and the dangerous cross lines on the set that resulted in tragedy as memories flood back in the boundaries between Reality and film, past and present, start to blur. But he's going to help remake the film, even if it means navigating a world of cynical producers, egomaniacal directors, and a, and surreal fan conventions. Demons of the past be damned, but at what cost? So that sounds nice, right?
0: Emily, it's up your alley with the movies and the books coming oh, together, huh?
2: Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm very, very, very excited about this one.
1: I, and, yeah. and Paul does that thing where... Um, I think I, heard, I was listening to someone talk about Rachel Harrison recently, where she takes a thing and makes it her own. And I feel like when Paul approaches a trope or a, 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 a section of horror, he really kind of cultivates like a very Paul perspective on it. So I'm excited about that.
0: I only have one. Um, I decided to just do one for June and cause I have a good story about it. So It's called The Eyes Are the Best Part by Monica Kim. So here's how I learned about this book. It actually wasn't from Emily's List. I got an urgent message from Christopher Golden who said to me, Becky, I just read this book. I knew nothing about it. They asked me to blurb it. Oh, my God, this book is great. You have to read it. So without anything else, I went straight to the publisher and I said, hey, Christopher Goldman told me to read this book. (laughs) And I want to put it in my April column for Library Journal, which will be due. I have to read the book in February. And I also do an interview with an author every issue that I have one of my columns. I'm like, and I want to do an interview with the author. Can we do this? And they were like, that would be great. Um, That was before I even read what it was about. I literally, this is like, I there are people you trust, right? Yeah. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: so yeah. I just, like, he, like, literally ran to me to tell me how much he loved this book. So then I looked at the blurb <laughs> and first of all, the, the the publisher marketing is two of the, my favorite books in the last like five years. Crying in H-Mart means my sister, the serial killer. Um, so it's a feminist psychological horror about the making of a female serial killer from a Korean American perspective. Uh, so I am already like sold there. Um, I don't really know what's happening, but there's going to be a female serial killer. It's gonna have something to do with eyes. You can read the blurb on Emily's site cause it's up there and Christopher Golden loved it. So I'm just gonna let it happen to me in February <laughs> when I read it.
2: And yeah, I'm, it I'm will... hearing a lot of buzz about this one and the, yeah. the editor, uh, I used to work with her at Tor and she's like, she just has the most amazing taste. And so I'm, yeah, the, I, I fully expect the world from this book.
0: But what, what I like about this book is sharing this as my last book is like, sometimes that's how we hear about books. I think that's important. You know, yep. someone else tells us to read it. Um, Emily tells me sometimes about books like ahead of time, like you have to read this book. Mm-hmm. I have a few that are coming up later in the year that I'm reading because she told me to, uh, and, and people you trust and people come to all of us, all three of us to, to share books that they're excited about. Um, and, I literally took a chance and said, you know what, Christopher Golden told me this book is great. I'm just going to set it up. And then I went and read about it after because I think sometimes you have to take that leap with books, mm-hmm. especially oh, those yeah. of us who read for a living. It's It can get monotonous and, and boring at times. And some of this pure excitement... I just, it, it's a great way to recapture it. So I am excited for that one. Very
2: Yeah. Much. It's very possible to get locked into your own taste and having people you trust to be like, no, I know you never would have picked this up on your own or you didn't know anything about it. And you're just like done sold is yes. such, such a, a, a boon. Well, I have two that- for June and I'll, I'll hit them quickly because I have not read either one. Um, the first is Youth Juice uh, by title. Yeah, I know, right? Ek <laughs> Satyu, um, and it is they're billing it as American Psycho meets Devil Wears Prada, and it's set in it's sort of a pitch dark satire of New York startup like it girl beauty culture, and I feel like there have been a few takes on this kind of story in the last few years but this one seems poised to really hit different it it you know if when the publisher copy is billing it as having outrageous body horror i'm like okay you know this is you know soho press is not usually in the outrageous body horror business so like i'm i'm listening um, but it's about a woman who takes a job at a like luxury skincare brand, and there's something not right about it. And she's asked to test uh, this like new moisturizer that they have called Youth Juice, and there is apparently a gruesome secret ingredient in the moisturizer. So I'm very I'm very excited about this. Also, a great cover like Millennial Pink with like. A hand holding like a cosmetic jar and like a drip of blood, um, and also having like spent my entire adult life before the age of like thirty three in New York. You know, I was not these women, but I was around these women constantly, and so I I'm drawn to those stories in a big way. Um, and my last pick for this for this episode is the second traditionally published novel from someone i consider a drop dead fucking genius uh cuckoo by gretchen felker martin author of manhunt which i'm sure you've all heard about uh hmm. this is her sort of throwback 90s conversion camp novel and the thing about gretchen is that like you're going to have a good time, but you're going to have a bad time while you're having a good time. And and I mean that a million percent as a compliment. Um, So this is about a group of teenagers who are functionally like kidnapped by this, uh, you know, tough love conversion camp out in the Utah desert. And as they sort of, are trying to muddle their way through and sort of stay true to who they are. They start to realize that the other campers are basically disappearing and being replaced by like fixed versions of themselves. Um, Obviously this year we had a big conversion camp horror novel in Chuck Tingle's Camp Damascus, which I also loved. And I cannot imagine a more perfect like, Polar opposite pair of authors to both take on the same subject matter. I am so like, I'm excited, but I'm also dreading reading this because I know it's just gonna rip my heart out and like run over it with like a combine tractor. But I'm signing up for it. <laughs> Again, I think she is like a stone cold genius, and I am gonna be like shouting from the rooftops about this one too. It's in my review queue
1: oh yeah manhunt was one that i was like i know i need to read this um but i was like is it where i have to be at a certain mindset to read it and it always kept getting like kind of jostled down the 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 reading list but um i own it and and i follow gretchen on social media and and it's one of those things where it's like i've done everything but done the thing um so but i (laughs) read i read about cuckoo yeah
2: It will be there for you is the beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. 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 That's actually a good point about books is like, it was mentioned earlier that, um, that there's kind of like the promotion cycle of a new release and then it just kind of falls off of radars. But I've been hearing people in podcasts a lot lately saying your book doesn't have a expiration date. Like there's Mm -hmm. not like a day where it's no longer a book. It's always going to be there. And so yeah, you know we we were talking offline before we we started about how I just started reading Maeve fly, which came out you know six months ago or whatever it was um, because I just can't stop hearing everybody say good things about it and I've been dying to get to it so mm-hmm. yeah um, go back to Emily's old lists and and yes. see what's see yes. what's listed there um, yeah there's always resources for and I've been I actually got kind of obsessed with the idea of books that aren't talked about anymore. So I've started posting videos on my Instagram where I'm talking about books that came out like a decade ago that like when, when, when conversations are going on, if people are talking about werewolf books, I think about Glenn Duncan's the last werewolf, but that oh, came out like God. 2011.
2: Yes.
0: That book is incredible.
1: Right. And it's and just, I'm a big
0: fan of sharp teeth by, Bar- uh, is it Toby Barlow? I believe mm-hmm. that's another one. I really like. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I talk a lot about this
0: on my blog um, because in libraries, we have the backlist. Yeah.
1: So mm-hmm. years
0: ago, I used to do a talk with uh, – there's a there's a great bookstore in Oak Park called Open Table, and um, I used to go with the owner, Jason, and we would do a thing around at libraries, and we would do things like Becky – you know which, how many Stephen King books do you have at your library I'd be like we have every book he's ever written it's <laughs> like yes and all i have is room for the most recent 5 and the 5 most popular and that's it he's mm-hmm. like, because you have the backlist and i talk all the time about how libraries we need to be we most of our books are not on the new shelf whereas a bookstore most of the books are newer yeah. and so our yep. point is we have this our asset is our backlist And so what do you do when you have a great asset? You play it up. So we need to, and I focus, I have an entire like subline on my blog for librarians, but I train them about look backward, especially two to five years. That's a sweet spot. But Mm -hmm. even back a decade um, where, you know, you probably still have those books on the shelf. They're good reads. They were, you know, a great read for somebody at some point. It doesn't matter if it was, if it's new or not, if it's a good book for that reader, it's a great book.
1: totally
2: I will say say also that um, in every one of my lists so you know in the 2024 list there are links to all of the previous years in that list you don't have to go digging for them they are right there for you
0: it's why we call her an honorary librarian she's very good at making sure that it's (laughs) easy to get all the information
2: we need at any time that is honestly like honorary like the honor is all mine that is like the nicest thing you could say about me (laughs)
1: It is, yeah, it is high praise. But uh, you do make it incredibly easy, and yes. um, you, we just need you to inspire other people to do the same thing for other genres, um, <laughs> one I way wish, or another. Man, if I could clone or-
2: myself, I would do it for sci-fi and fantasy. But I only have so <laughs> many hours in a day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Definitely, um, we've been going over two hours, so we probably uh, get hey, for the stop. sake of like everybody's sanity we, or the three of us. Um, moving on with our day, we should probably wrap it up. Um, but so for anybody that's listening, if you enjoyed this, um, there's going to be a, a you know a bookshop.org list of everything everything we talked about. I think it's probably around thirty books, so there's definitely stuff to check out. Um, this was planned where we just talked about the first half of the year, so uh, sometime into 2024 ostensibly we're going to do this again for the second half of 2024 oh, yeah. um, for many reasons. First of all, like this took two hours, um, but also like things aren't always settled and things change and like things and out. So like, I will point out one thing I'm going to point out is that like, I think minutes before we got started or hours before we got started, Gemma Amore announced uh, a collection, I think coming out through cemetery gates media or something like that in uh, spring.
2: That's great. So I missed it. I'll add it.
1: It but it, it like literally happened just a few hours ago. So right.
2: yeah.
1: these things always change. We're breaking it up into two halves. We'll come back and uh we'll do July through December. And um I just want to thank both of you for, I mean, Becky, for having the idea um, and for being amazing and Emily, who has never met me and probably knew nothing about me, agreeing to do this as well. So uh, (laughs) uh, thank you so much for for taking the time. It's been fantastic.
2: It was really fun. Thanks, everybody. This was great. Thank you so much, Rob.